well, we'll just expose this kid. You don't want to expose them. You find ways to connect with them. But when you try it with adults, Aaron, I'm telling you, take it from me. Don't do it, brother. As an educator, you want what's best for your students. You want them to succeed academically and emotionally. But how do you do it? For some reason in education, we get real pushback when we try to think differently. We make everything work. And we have to understand there's going to have to be some sacrifice. So we adjust time based on student learning. And when you have that all day long in your schedule, you know, you're going to be excited to get up in the morning. From creative instructional practices to school models and ideas big and small, Reimagining Time is a podcast that will tell the stories of real educators like you and how they have used their imagination to transform their schools and to enrich students' lives. That piece of good advice was courtesy of Kenneth Williams. Ken is a nationally recognized trainer, speaker, coach, and consultant in leadership and school culture. He has worked with thousands of teachers all over the country. Ken is the former principal of the Learning Academy at E.J. Swint in Jonesboro, Georgia, and DeMarcus Elementary School in DeMarcus, Maryland. He has firsthand experience with transforming schools overwhelmed by challenges. In one exercise with teachers, he tries to ability group them. I'm sure you know the outcome of that exercise. And I'm going to tell you, I've worked with groups, urban, suburban, rural, extra rural, doesn't matter. They don't like ability grouping because I try it with them and they don't like it. I, I lose an audience for 45 minutes when I try to ability group them. I've asked groups, I'm gonna put you in high, medium and low groups, man, you will lose that room. And then when I finally get the room back, I ask this question. If I was serious about this, if I was serious about putting you in the groups and dumbing it down for one group and keeping expectations high for another, would I get your best effort today? And 99% of them say no. Sometimes the solution used to try to help students is grouping or labeling students. We might say these students are low performers, so we're going to put them into a different group because they don't learn like the other kids. But this labeling can have a negative effect, not just on the students. It can also have an effect on the educators and how they view these students. But students, just like adults, don't like to be ability grouped, as Ken points out. So how can educators shift their mindset towards students who are struggling in some areas? Ken continues. And I talk about we got a wide range of skill and experience in this room. You know, I have the first year teacher look at the 35 year vet. And I tell that teacher, look, when you see that vet, when she sneezes, She's going to sneeze out more than you learned your first year. She's going to sneeze out. She's in her sneeze. She's going to expel more than you learned your first year. And you learned a ton your first year. And yet we're in this space and I'm teaching you to, at the highest level of the standard and I'm going to scaffold as appropriate. And so the way to change the mindset is to engage in new experiences. See, mindset doesn't, mindset typically doesn't change until you have new experiences and new results. And so we need to, you know, engage more in inclusion. We need to stop teaching kids below grade level all year long. So the way to get rid of labeling is to 
make a commitment to teach everyone at the highest level of the standard and scaffold as appropriate. That's the way you can't have five algebras uh, before algebra. Kids got four years of high school. You got five almost algebras they got to go through to get to algebra. What do we think kids think? They just cope. That's the thing. See, they can't walk out. They can't do an evaluation. They can't give me a, a two and a half out of five on right. the session evaluation. They just cope. They cope. And so if I believe if, and I, I'm just kind of throwing this out there. If, if, a, if, if the ability grouping, if ability grouping was based on a team's collective expertise, we would get, we would, we would be rid of a lot of low groups. But right now we base ability grouping on what we perceive is wrong with the kid, right? The kids damaged goods. But when I talk, when I used to talk with my teams and they talk about low kids and, you know, we got these low, low kids and our low babies, it breaks my heart to hear you say that. I'm like, why? Because it means I haven't equipped you well, because when I hear you say the kids low, my mind, I'm thinking your team is low. And if your team is low, that's on me. Listen, the breakthroughs are here in the building. It's not in our communities. It's not in kids' homes. It's not in their background, the zip code, who the mama is, whether daddy's home or not. The breakthroughs are with our collective expertise, me setting you up the right way. So, you know, you call them low, you teach them low. Adults don't like it. So I say, let's stop doing it to students. Meeting the needs of each student with limited time and resources can be very challenging, especially with the added pressure that the pandemic has put on each and every one of us. But Ken sees an opportunity. In his view, now more than ever, less is more. One of the, you know, one of the blessings of the pandemic is that it has forced us into less is more, right? We've been talking about it for 40 years. I mean... You could go back 10, 15, 20 years ago and ask an audience of teachers, do you have too much to teach in too little time? And they're like, absolutely. And then when we moved to a learning for all culture where it just wasn't enough to just teach the stuff. Way too much to teach in too little time. I mean, you don't have time to uh, go to the bathroom, to, to grab a Diet Coke, nothing. And so COVID has is, COVID is forced us into less is more. It has forced us to prioritize and focus on, on, on identifying what's really essential. So that would be my advice is to continue with that. Like there's some things we wanna go back to, but other things we wanna get rid of. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's forced us, we, we dropped the porcelain, it, it's, it's shattered and broken into pieces. We wanna take advantage of that. And so along with less is more is a focus on equitable practice, not just equity as a feeling, or attaching equity to race all the time. Equity is not about race. It's equitable practice. And equitable practice is rooted in identifying what's essential for every student to know and be able to do in every learning endeavor, and then becoming consumed as a team to ensure it happens. Those are the two things I would have folks focus on is less is more, less is more. And embed equitable practice. To illustrate his point on essential learning, Ken holds up a TV remote. We all have one. We're familiar with what a remote is. But what if it was essential that a student knew how to build a TV remote? 
Ken continues. If, if the fourth grade team decides that every student's got to know how to make this remote, because it's going to help them at fifth grade, it's going to help them on the standardized test, if applicable, it's going to help them in life, then let's stop making excuses. Once we decide this is essential, then we've got to click into this mindset where the only question we're answering is, how will we get them there? There is no, once something is essential, there is no can they or can't they. There's only how will we get them there. And once you operate that way, right, and, and really maximize the time, that's equitable practice. That's equity at work. That's equity that's measurable and tangible and practical, not just a bunch of feelings and, uh, you know, flavor of the month. I like to take the helium out of the balloon, bring it back down to earth, focus on less is more and become consumed with ensuring every student masters essentials. If you're a PLC school, that means you are becoming consumed with question one of a learning community, question one. Nothing happens without question one. You can't have equity without it. Okay, you may be asking, what is question one? It's an important and foundational question that needs to be answered before trying to address any student needs. What is it that we want the students to know and be able to do? If you do not answer that question, you cannot have equity. You cannot have equity. Equity cannot exist at your school. If you not only don't answer the question, but then be consumed with making that question happen, you cannot have equity. Equity is when you, when we as a team decide what every student must know, and then we organize to make that happen, regardless of who the kid is, where they're from, what they look like, what language they speak or don't speak, what label they have or don't have, what house they come from or don't come from. That's equity at work. That's equity at work. And that's why PLC question one is so critically important. And so that comes even before you figure out who the kids are. You can't know what their needs are until you know what is expected of them. See, because if we start with Let's start with the kids' needs. And all you're going to do is find a list of excuses about why kids can and can't. But once you decide that in fourth grade science, every student's got to walk out with this remote, complete and functional, then you've got a standard. You've got a guaranteed and viable part of the curriculum. There might be 15 standards that the pacing guy wants you to master in fourth grade science. But as a team, you've decided there are six of them that every kid must walk out with to be prepared for the next level of learning. And among them is to create this remote control. So once you decide on this, then there is no can they or can't they? There is no can they or can't they? That doesn't erase the, that doesn't erase the adversity. It doesn't erase the challenges kids come to the table with. It doesn't erase the home lives that sometimes reverse what we've put in place in schools. It doesn't take away any of those things. It just it just moves all that stuff from the excuse bin to the, to the context bin. In conclusion, we wondered if you could reimagine what school looks like in the future, what would be your vision? So we put that question to Ken to see what he envisioned. All the ranking, sorting, and selecting and uh, consequential competition that goes on in schools is, is counter to what learning is about. In the learning environment, 
the goal is not to reward, it shouldn't be to reward first and fastest. Um, we, we shouldn't be uh, pitting teachers one against the other based on consequential competition. I mean, I, I, so I would like to see us reward learning and, and move away from the kind of ranking, sorting and selecting that creates equity issues. And I would like us just to move away from the stuff that, that creates unhealthy cultures on collaborative teams like inappropriate competition and uh, move more to this mindset where we don't care where the answer comes from. We just got to find the answer um, because, you know, none of it feels good. And again, I'm just not talking about students. Adults don't like it either. They just don't like it. They don't like it. That's it for this episode of Reimagining Time. This podcast is brought to you by Enriching Students, a tool that helps teachers give students what they really need, time. Our intro track, Rough Cut, is by the artist Tripwire. We want to say thank you to all the educators who have shared their ideas and stories with us. Look for new episodes every two weeks in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and more. Thanks for listening.